Testing. Oh, yeah, we're golden. Okay. All right, so Josh, are you willing to describe an engine, uh, describe what the engine did? Sure. Am, am I on right now? Yeah, you will be. I'm gonna, I'll introduce you in just one second. The New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast, featuring your hosts, Gabe Reiner and Ken Holyoke. Welcome back to the New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast. I am Gabe Ryan. I'm in Manchester, New Hampshire, and I'm joined, as I am every fortnight or thereabouts, by Ken Holyoke for this special, that's right, listeners, special, intrusive feature of the New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast. How are you, Ken? Very best. And uh, yes, sitting here in Lethbridge, uh, we've both been on the road, and that's sort of what the show is about. Um, uh, you've been down uh, down on the east coast of uh, uh, Ocean City, Maryland. Um, that's right. Uh, a, a hot spot of uh, former uh, glory, I guess, uh, coastline glory. I'm guessing I I, I picked. It was also a, a literal hot spot. We had students. We had students just going into the water. It was nuts. And then I, oh, I really? came back to Fredericton, and it was snowing. Huh. Yeah. It was. That's uh, actually kind of pre- surprising. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's climate change for you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it was. It was. I mean, it was. It was lovely. It was. Um, you know, you know, do you know that feeling uh, in it only really happens between like July 28th and August 1st in Fredericton, where you might be out for a drink and then you walk home and the air is assumed like that skin temperature. And you just yeah. feel as if you're walking through a sort of perfect, comfortable, temperate uh, feeling. It's because you're walking through a feeling. You're not walking through the air at that point. Yeah. And uh, that's what Ocean City was. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Yeah, and and, and- it- must be a lot of rusty there. uh did it have the rusty merry-go-round and and the creepy boardwalk or is that just um is that further north on the jersey shore i think that might be further north on the jersey shore ordinarily except that we were um we were very off season okay. um we were so off season that the hotel room was 69 dollars a night <laughs> so off season we were <laughs> that's <pretty> good <laughs> it's not a it's american so but it's a thousand dollars canadian yeah, yeah, yeah easy thousand canadian pesos yeah, exactly. And um, but no, it was great. And um, but many things were closed, including the Dunkin' Donuts across from the hotel, which is a bit of a, a oh, bit wow. of a, a challenge. But we're foreshadowing a bit here, listener, uh, about what we're actually going to discuss. And so, what I should say now is that we are sponsored, as we are every fortnight, by the Association of Professional Archaeologists of New Brunswick. But, but listener, we are joined. It's not the Belvini Scotch Company, but it's damn close. We are joined by an equally thrilling. Um, new sponsor and Ken would you like to tell us about this um, the sponsor who is near and dear to your heart and also near and dear to your wallet every other Friday yeah so uh, so we are now going to be sponsored every fortnight by the University of Lethbridge uh, Office of Research Innovation Services and the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council so we are the proud recipients of a University of Lethbridge Shirk Exchange grant uh, which is going to be funding the ongoing production of this podcast and some pretty exciting stuff coming up over the next uh, next few months now, which is uh, which is great. So congratulations to Gabe and uh, um, and uh, on this is something we've been kind of working on in the background to try to get uh, get things off the ground. And and I found out last week while I was uh, while I was in Toronto that uh, that we gotten we gotten the funding and so we're figuring it out and and we'll have some exciting announcements to to that come out of this as well. That's right. And I mean, really congratulations to Ken and the listeners should know that Ken actually did um, 
most of the work on this. It was a, not every listener knows that editing Ken is actually, it's like, I'm reminded of being in a Whole Foods once in, in uh, 2007 or thereabouts. <laughs> and it was the, the halcyon days of Whole Foods. And um, I saw a man carving a wheel of cheese in bas relief to look like a stained glass window. That's what editing Ken is like. You get presented this gigantic wheel of cheese <laughs> and you were there with a knife just shaving it down until you find the part you were looking for. And so that's, I think, a bit what this uh, this grant was like. And so um, this is really all Ken um, in that regard. I just I just chipped away until until we well primarily met the word limit, but also <laughs> yeah, the yeah. central theme. Yeah. I write um, the forest. So- I write the forest and the trees. That's the uh... <laughs> he does, and I fire up the chainsaw every once in a while. <laughs> if I were looking for it. So Ken, but what are some of the things that's going to enable us to do? Um, so uh, so obviously it'll be the continued production of the podcast, which is great. Um, you might notice some improvements in our production quality as we actually are able to now hire a student producer who will probably be a student at the University of Lethbridge, um, possibly out of our digital audio arts program. Um, So these are students who are actually learning how to do audio production. Um, We may not be, uh, we may not be producing everything in the free program clip champ anymore. Uh, (laughs) Lo and behold, probably not the best uh, way to retain the audio quality. Um, But we'll also be, uh, so, so we'll have some student engagement on the show. Uh, We'll bring on our student, uh, student hires uh, or hire or hires whenever we um, uh, get them on board uh, so that you listener can meet them. Um, And we're also going to be able to do uh, sometime in the new year, uh, our first live show, which is pretty exciting. That's right. Um, uh, Date and location to be uh, set, but, uh, but listener, you will hear it here first. Um, and, uh, we'll also be, uh, confirming to be, uh, live at the Canadian Archaeological Association meeting in May in Saskatoon. Um, and so, uh, again, uh, probably will be tied in with our academic activities there. Uh, but, uh, but we'll endeavor to do a live show and maybe rope in some of the, um, executive at the CAA and, uh, and some of our colleagues and friends who will be in attendance. Yeah, and when Ken says academic activities, he really means he's speaking for himself there, listener. I have tenure. Um, Ken still does not. So I actually will be probably there in exclusively a podcast role. You'll notice me because I'll be slunching around a hoodie that just says New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast, possibly gym shorts. And you'll just see me occasionally at, while Ken is off slaving away doing, you know, I don't know, three or four talks and a poster and, you know, recruiting new graduate students or whatever you do, you do exactly. out there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um, so that's very exciting. And and we do really appreciate that. And in part because we're trying to sort of grow this thing that we do here. Um, and part of growing that has just been we're trying to get more um, quality on the one hand, right? We're trying to sort of make it a better product for you, but we're also trying to reach new listeners. So um, we haven't asked this in a while, but if you if you don't mind, if you could log into whatever you listen to us on and hit the like button, we really appreciate that. Um, but what yeah, we have and- today is... And I do uh, just before we sign off on this, so I just want to kind of uh, say it again. So um, we're going to shorthand this probably in the future, but uh, Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, um, for those of you who are not aware, is one of what we call the tri-council funding agencies in Canada. And so um, these are bodies that are basically funded by federal money 
uh, in order to facilitate research in Canada um, in variety of different settings. And so Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council focuses on obviously social sciences and humanities and fine arts. Um, the what's called NSERC or the uh, National Science and Engineering Research Council um, funds uh, kind of hard science research. Uh, and then the Canadian Institute of Health Research or CIHR funds um, uh, health sciences and health-based research. And so these tri-council bodies provide funding. Um, Gabe has held multiple SHRC grants. Um, I've had SHRC funding for my master's and my uh, my PhD research. Um, they help graduate students and, and researchers alike um, to kind of do fascinating research in, in Canada. Um, and I'm really lucky that at the university where I am, they have a program basically where they they applied, the university got funding from SHRC to uh, fund smaller programs through the university. And so um, in particular, I want to thank uh, Natasha Tchaikovsky in the Office of Research and Innovation Services um, and our assistant, um, uh, so, sorry, our associate vice president of research, Jacqueline, uh, Dr. Jacqueline Rice. So um, for uh, for signing off on this work and and uh, making making it happen. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. And we're looking forward to putting in for even more funding and in part through to the um, excellent help of those individuals who are tremendously helpful, actually. Yeah, these yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's been an incredible help. So, um, so yeah, so so Shirk and uh, Ulef Oris will be uh, a couple taglines that you're going to see probably on our social media posts. And, and now you know what those acronyms stand for. Absolutely. And speaking of taglines, Ken, we are not, uh, we're doing an intrusive feature tonight. So we are not doing our usual prize read. There's no option for prize tonight. Although, listener, if you still are after that last bit of Ecoforce swag, feel free to write in. Um, and we're also not going to do hit pieces at the end of this program. But we still um, are going to check our mailbox. And Ken, if in the future, someone would like to write to us for, um, could be the Ecoforce prize, could be a new prize name. Or it could be just to say hi or to share some information about our uh, mistakes or ideally to heap praise upon us. Where yeah. would they send that? Uh, New Brunswick Archaeology at gmail.com. That's New Brunswick Archaeology. Archaeology spelled A-R-C-H-A-E-O-L-O-G-Y. New Brunswick Archaeology at gmail.com. That's great, Ken. And if you click on that um, right now on your computer in front of you, what do you see? Well, we've got our usual pile of spam. Um, we've got That's some communication right. back and forth, actually, about um, some upcoming exciting podcasts. Uh, uh, we're going to be doing another crossover with our friends at the Screens of the Stone Age. Um, That's great. So, yeah, uh, that'll probably be coming out. Actually, as the listener is probably sitting down to a nice uh, mug of mulled wine or uh, a mulled cider with maybe a dash of bourbon in it over the holidays, I think uh, we we might bring be, be uh, launching a, uh, another one of our uh, episodes with uh, with our friends at Screens of the Stone Age right around yeah. that time. Or so. our listener, it might be a half pint of Allen's and a Campbell cigarette, but that's okay. <laughs> could be, could be, yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. A, or a P, or a PBR and, a, and PBR, an American yeah. Spirit. So sure could be, yeah. Some, some cheez Its. Yeah, um, but the listener recall that was our crossover episode where we reviewed the the more uh, the fourth Indiana Jones recent. movie I guess yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. um and uh and I don't know if we, we haven't quite figured out if we're going to do another movie review if we're going to talk to them about um about ancient bones I think is another possibility uh, yeah we might go real <laughs> we one. might go real we might go research side <laughs> yeah. uh and is that called about... breaking the fourth wall in movies is that the what is it the breaking the something wall I think I think that's when you when yeah when you acknowledge that the audience is there and then you look at the screen and kind of you know 
that's the fourth wall oh okay i think we can't do that through our through the radio oh interesting yeah it, Unless... i mean maybe the, the way to do that would be to put this on the radio <laughs> we, we, we we like take over some like am talk station and all of a sudden yeah. instead of listening to like you know the yankees it's I, I should see i should see if we can get uh we can get a spot for the arc our nb archaeology podcast on the um our university radio station yeah i don't know what the canadian equivalent of fcic is but it'd be lovely to get the license at leftbridge taken away when we (laughs) (laughs) but but not not for profanity just for bad taste you know (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know if you've ever listened to university radio at 2 a.m but i wouldn't call it good taste (laughs) oh i have yeah we've already talked about my my enthusiasm for avril lavigne that didn't come out of nowhere (laughs) <laughs> so ken's looking at our gmail listener and, and ken what do you see in uh in our email this, uh, yeah so we've got a, an email again from ricky um who's written a few times uh and Fantastic. he said this just is ricky in blurb. vermont right uh nope this is vicky uh ricky in new brunswick oh okay east yeah. of the rockies east of the rockies uh east of the laurentians or east of the the appalachians actually yeah east of the border east of everything <laughs> uh just a quick blurb uh in one of your podcasts ken mentioned maquapet lake uh, I have just met the great-granddaughter of a person by the name of Duncan London, who surveyed the lake in the early 1900s. Oh, cool. She told me some pretty amazing stories. She mentioned that they were losing more and more of the family's land due to rising waters. It's a shame that we're losing the shorelines as fast as we are. Even some of the stories she told me about, uh, she told me was about finding artifacts and washouts. Thanks for doing the podcast. You guys make them both fun and interesting. Your quests have been have all been amazing and informative as well ricky so thank you ricky thank you again thanks very much and, ricky. uh um and yes your uh your stickers will be in the mail um and i i think actually we're i don't know about you gabe but i'm i'm almost out and so we might be we coming up with the third generation of uh nb archaeology podcast I, stickers i think we are and thank you for the email ricky and, and speaking of stickers actually part of the reason i'm almost out is i offloaded a bunch of stickers ken at the eastern states archaeological federation meeting in ocean city maryland yeah, yeah. So, th- so let's uh, let's hear what. Um, so, you guys went down. Um, were you presenting anything yourself, or did you just have students that were with you? I did present. I was. Um, so I was. I'm on uh, this Northeastern Archaeological Survey project, and so I presented kind of lead on our recent research at Sip Bay in yep. Maine, um, and then I was also a co-author on uh, Arthur Anderson's paper, which I think the listener is going to hear about. Yep. Um, that was me, Arthur, and Al Hansinger, who's a recent grad at um, UNB, who's about to start at UMass Amherst, currently at Vermont Transit. And um, it's about just um, kind of our fieldwork we've been doing. And you'll, you'll hear it better from, from Arthur about what he and Al and I are doing. Um, and, the, and I was spending. Oh, and the listener but, will remember that uh, the SIP Bay project, Gabe, we had a live episode from in the summer of your guys uh, your, you guys in the field at sip bay that's right they'll remember the iconic shaking sound that surely no one ever doing an archaeology podcast has ever used before which is to hold the mic to the shaking screen of the oh yeah the material I, I was supposed to make that our new transition sound wasn't i no i, th- I think the the sh- has become iconic <laughs> all 48 of our listeners are enthralled by the sh- so if we, if we if we switch away from uh um from clip champ though i don't i don't know if we have that swoosh sound anymore well we might have to switch to that yeah we might sound. 
yeah, we might be forced into it. Um, and be. so, so you had a, a whole group from the Northeastern Archaeological Survey there. That's right. So you were yep. in Ocean City, Maryland, which, uh, based on your description and the description of some of our, um, our colleagues and friends who will hear in the interviews uh, coming up in a few minutes, uh, was was quite beautiful actually. It is, and and I was sort of surprised by this. The, um, you know, I have a somewhat Bruce Springsteen tinged view of the Mid Atlantic, and I also have a, a a view that's that's tinged by having family from New Jersey, right? Which is not the most beautiful part of the Mid Atlantic, it must be said. <laughs> and um, and I did not expect to like it as much as I did. And I think part of my enthusiasm though was that we were apparently like two weeks after the season closes. Um, so the hotel rooms, one of the great things about ESAF is it prides itself really on accessibility for students or like kind of anyone that wants to go. Yep. Um, hotel rooms were $69 a night, which is, uh, awfully affordable by the stat standards of, um, conference hotel rooms. That's American Canadians. Um, uh, and was struck by as I immediately walked up to my room in the Holiday Inn, uh, the $69 was getting me an oceanfront patio. Oh, no so, way. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 I did not even have the most prime of rooms. The uh the uh other people at their at the um two of our students um sort of came down and I we were meeting for dinner and and they said, um I have an oceanfront room. And I said, I think we all have oceanfront rooms. This <laughs> appears to be a quirk of the conference. So we yeah, were that's um, lovely. We were very well put up there. Um and it's always a good meeting. And actually I think one of the things that's fun about ESAF is it's um usually hosted by local archaeological societies. So they sort of organize this and they find an affordable place. And it's often an excuse to go to a town you've never been to before. Yep. Um, I think we've been to Watertown exclusively for this reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've certainly never been to Bucks County for any reason, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, for any reason other than an ESAF meeting. East Portland, which is not Portland. South Portland. South Portland, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You would have been horribly lost. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, what's so so the listener has heard some um, conversations from the Society for American Archaeology meeting, which was a big one in Portland, Oregon, uh, and kind of goes to these big locations. The Canadian Archaeological Association, mostly Canadian, but is still another international conference um, for the most part. But what um, what is special about ESAF apart from uh, this sort of accessibility and it's hosted by societies is that um, uh, the listener will uh, would be interested to know that um, a vocational archaeologists and people sort of just lay people who are interested in archaeology are encouraged to attend and actually uh, can participate in it. Um, That's and right. if if they are involved in some kind of archaeological research or maybe there's a um, we've seen papers, some of which are a little bit more polished than others, but uh, mm -hmm of interested members of the public who present on maybe sites that they found on their properties, um, uh, work that they've done sort of volunteering on projects and that kind of thing. Um, and so it, uh, it's a little bit more laid back that way. And I, and I really like how the format has always been, um, one concurrent session. So, yes. um, everybody is in the same meeting room at the same time. Um, and so actually everybody gets to see all the same papers. And so the conversation about what's going on at the conference you all, everybody knows what everybody else is seeing and you're not broken off into sort of these little niche groups. Right. And so um, it's a very kind of together weekend. Yeah. And I was just sort of going to say that the, because Zach Singer is going to talk about him. He's the president of ESAF and, and, and we all know one another. And so he's, I think we've got a blurb coming up 
in the we're doing the time travel thing again listener but we've got a yeah. blurb coming um back or up depending on where you are in this thing of zach kind of explaining esaf but um i think ken's point about the weekend kind of being a running conversation about archaeology is totally true um and it's um and i i will say actually this year and it's a real testament to um zach's work um dave leslie's work and steve israel's work um who organized the meeting you know they were kind of the the committee that put the meeting together um i have never been to a meeting where the papers were as good universally as the one i was at at this most recent esaf i would say um virtually all of the papers um would have been a plus papers at an saa meeting and i it's hard to say that about papers right but the um and in particular there was a session about gpr ground penetrating radar um which the listener will be surprised here is not a subject that ordinarily brings great excitement to me. <laughs> um, but the uh, the folks that are doing GPR um, that presented are actually making images that um, I could understand. They actually explained them. They actually showed <laughs> things that are not just um, like the after night um, uh, gray screen on an old 1990s TV. Yeah, um, yeah the, pi- that was the, pixelated, the pixelated blob. That's right. Yeah. But um, but so I think but to the point of so you're running conversation uh, point about this is that you do really spend three days just talking archaeology with people. Yeah. Um, and it's great. And there um, there are people who are avocational, which maybe, I don't know, a quarter of the meeting. Um, and then the rest is split between academics and CRM archaeologists. Um, and so you just see an enormous amount of archaeology. It's very, very good. Um, and you talk to a lot of people that know a lot. And I think one of the actually real testaments I just want to kind of plug here about it was there was a paper um, about um, fluted point Paleo-Indian sites. And that paper was co-delivered by John Lothrop, who is a a big deal in Northeast Paleo-Indian studies. Um, you know, seems to publish in American Antiquity a lot. <laughs> yeah. Curator of the New York State Museum. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he gave he co-authored a paper with um, an avocational colleague, uh, Noel. And I apologize. I can't pronounce his last name. It's S.K. something. And we'll put it in the show notes um, who owns a, a property. He's been an avocational archaeologist um, for, um, uh, you know, a long time. And they they're co-presenting at this um, at this uh, academic conference and it's really really lovely um and it's particularly lovely when you realize that all of a sudden when you look at these maps they present that well why is it that we know so much about new york paleo indians and it's because they facilitated this relationship um between avocational archaeologists who know a hell of a lot and between academics who can sort of facilitate putting this stuff all on a map um yeah and so you get a lot of papers that are like that at um, at ESAF. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And so so coming up, the listener is going to be treated to uh, seven interviews, so short short clip interviews between uh, our, our co-host, Dr. Reinick here, um, the first of which is an interview with Josh Cummings, which um, we're going to we're going to come <laughs> back to uh, because the the interview centers on. Uh, a bit of a mishap that the the Northeast Archaeological <laughs> Survey had happened on the way on the road to ESAF. Um, uh, the next up, we'll have Heather Rockwell, who is an assistant professor at Salve Regina. Um, Zach Singer, 
who is the state terrestrial archaeologist of Maryland. Um, Jonathan Alberstein, who is a PhD candidate or student at Dartmouth. Uh, I'm not sure. He's somewhere between uh, dissertation and coursework. So Okay, so a PhD yep. uh, uh, student at Dartmouth uh, College or University. Is it Dartmouth College or University? College. College. That's a very uh, American Ar- thing there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, Arthur Anderson. Their motto is a voice crying in the wilderness, which was going to be the motto of this podcast. But they. <laughs> Sorry, what? It's Yeah, their motto is a voice crying in the wilderness. Why? I, I think it was a, a converting indigenous people kind of thing. Oh, OK. Yeah. Huh. But uh, do you know what U of T's is? Velet no. Arbor Avo. What is may that? It, may it grow as a tree through the ages oh fantastic and is that that's well, i don't want to dox you but is that how the how you came to name the acorn uh oh yeah thing? yeah it is it's, it's yeah well yeah and it's also like the word quercus is literally tattooed on my back so it was pretty easy right yeah are, are we allowed to tell the listener about this story oh yeah that's <laughs> so so uh the listener who who has attended university probably since at least 2005 has probably had the painful experience of using some kind of administrative program for your coursework. Um, and if you've taught at a university since then, uh, you have learned that these programs are the bane of your existence. And so each university has a different one. I've taught in D2L. Um, I've uh-huh. taught in... Uh, Desire to learn. Um, uh, our current one is is Moodle um, at University of Lethbridge, uh, Blackboard, Canvas, all these different ones. And, and University of Toronto, when I was there, when I started, was looking for a new name for their, um, uh, for their, uh, new, uh, learning platform. Uh, and I proposed the word, the name Quercus, uh, in part because part of the crest, uh, I, I came up with a, um, I don't know, uh, I'll say eloquent, uh, proposal that included uh that uh, you know there's a uh you've got the velvet arbor avo there's oak iconography in their coat of arms um there's an oak tree that's sprouting out of the the crest um and so uh, quercus is is latin for oak um and uh, lo and behold i had an advantage because my, my last name is holy oak uh, uh and it is written it's based on uh an old english spelling of oak which is oke so my name literally means holy oak and so there's a latin translation which is sacra quercus and so i was familiar with quercus as uh, my minimal latin familiarity and and anyway it won I got a, I got a, I was one of two people that picked Quercus actually. And we both got, I think it was $150 in bookstore money. Um, and I felt like uh, you got something good, like a, like a hoodie and a, a novel or something. I might've, I might've also gotten some swag, but I also got doxxed on Reddit uh, as a result of it, which, which <laughs> I, which I found amusing. Um, but, uh, but uh, when they, when they told me that I had won, uh, there was a, an administrator that was, uh, got very serious all of a sudden. She's like, and I'm not sure if you've heard about the internet controversy about the name. <laughs> so um, anyway. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So um, can, can I just pause you there? The, um, yeah. I wanted to make sure that I, because I still don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, Noel's last name, who I just mentioned, mm-hmm. it's S-T-R-O-B-I-N-O. I think it's Strobino, but uh, I apologize. I've gotten that wrong. Okay. On the, and that on was the New York Paleo Project. Yeah. So that was the co-author yeah. with... with um, 
John Lothrop. Uh, yeah. John Lothrop. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, so we've got, uh, um, Arthur Anderson up, uh, next after Jonathan Alberstein. So, uh, Arthur will, uh, frequent guest of, and, and friend of the, uh, friend of the show, friend of the um, show is, yeah. uh, is an associate teaching professor at the university of new England, uh, Dawson Burnett, who is a recent graduate from the undergraduate program at UNB anthropology. That's right. Um, and then we wrap up with our friend and colleague, uh, Amy Fox, who's a PhD candidate at the university of Toronto. That's right. And that's where the restaurant recommendations come in as well, which we know the yeah. listeners is thinking to the Heightstown Diner uh, features prominently in that, uh, that little snippet. Yeah, a little flavor of Southern New England in there. Oh, no, um, no, that's the Mid-Atlantic. That's New Jersey. It's not, that's not Southern New oh, England Oh, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you're yep. below the below the New England. That's yeah, yeah, right. no, as, and Amy Fox will remind you, she has never pumped gas, um, <laughs> as one does in Southern New England. But in New yeah. Jersey, it's illegal, uh, not just for a lady, but for anyone to pump gas on their own. It, Oh really? Oh yeah, it's it's a you have to have the the station attendant do it. Oh okay, I thought that was a joke about Jersey Shore. Oh no no, I mean the the, the joke is Jersey girls don't pump gas, but oh. it it Jersey nobody pumps gas except for the station attendant. It, is that something like tied in with like a like a Sopranos episode or something that they're concerned about uh, uh, what, what's going to happen know. to the gas? I don't know. I mean it it does seem a little mobbed up, but I suspect you know I don't know. I mean. What, are you not voting for Chris Christie to save our country? <laughs> uh, so, um, do we foreshadow a little bit the things that are going to happen after, um, after this exciting ESAF episode? Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, coming up here, uh, we're kind of entering into the end of the, of the calendar year, but, uh, the new, uh, we've got our episodes kind of planned out through. Uh, through uh, the the entire second season and and upcoming we've got and the listeners should know that that one of the listeners that's listening to this uh, Dave Black may not even know that he's been slotted for an episode <laughs> yeah yeah so Dave <laughs> if you're listening expect an email on one of these upcoming episodes um, but part two of our pseudo archaeology special um, is going to be coming up in the next fortnight uh, with uh, Daryl Kelman. That's right. Um, That's Oak Island, uh, Oak Island themed. An Oak Island themed episode. Um, and then we're going to have a couple of episodes uh, about professional archaeologists and uh, professional collector collaborations. So similar mm-hmm. to the ones that uh, Gabe actually highlighted as being kind of a uh, um, actually a very good tie in there with the theme of ESAF this past weekend. Um, and we'll be talking with uh, Dr. Bonnie Pitblotto. Um, and uh, and Dave, if uh, if you're willing, uh, we'll be talking with you as well uh, for a, lo- a local uh, a little bit of local flavor on that. I think and, he's uh, confirmed. We just never sent him the calendar invite yet. So. Okay, okay, all right, <laughs> yeah. that's good. Um, and then we've got uh, our upcoming uh, our another crossover episode with the Screens of the Stone Age, um, alongside a few more thematic episodes. And and there might be we might throw in an episode of just. Uh, just a Ken and Gabe show at some point uh, to kind of hash it up with something. We might. Um, we we know that's what the listener really wants is to go back to the battle days of just you and me, three hours of us <laughs> rambling. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> that's what they're here for. That's what. That's yeah, what, yeah. That's, oh, that, that's how we built this listenership of forty eight a week. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. Um. But so so now, um, the first interview you're going to hear is not so much about archaeology, <laughs> but. But getting to an archaeological conference in which, uh, uh, so Gabe is going to share an anecdote now. Uh, so Josh, Josh kind of relays what the issue is, but uh, um, we're left with a bit of a cliffhanger at the end of that inter- uh, interview. Um, so the 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 um, Northeast Archaeological Survey van had a breakdown somewhere in Massachusetts. No, we were, we were well with Delaware when it finally quit. 
Okay, and so yeah, but not well enough enough that we could get to. <laughs> yeah. So so the van broke down, um, yeah. and so we hear a little bit about what happened. Um, and so what we we were we were um, we'll be you'll be uh, enticed by a setup to uh, to have a follow up interview about what happened, um, but uh, but didn't have a chance to record it. So <clears throat> so how did you guys end up resolving the van issue? So uh, we we resolved it. Um... You know, Ken, I don't know if you've had the experience of having to plead with someone at the Philadelphia Airport uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Car <laughs> um, desk. It's it's not a dignified experience. Um, and I would love to tell you that I didn't say that everyone in the car with me uh, were 14-year-old high school students, and I was really desperate. Um, but that may have actually had to be the maneuver I made. Um, and so what, what had actually happened was the... Uh, 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 enterprise in their infinite wisdom um well we we, we ended up uh pulled over at a wawa in somewhere in delaware it's a, a gas station convenience store okay and enterprise assured us that everything was under control and at that point we knew we were in deep trouble and um and enterprise then assured us that they had a, a an uber for five of us to go to the philadelphia airport to basically reload into a new vehicle and um but it turned out that the reason we were in such a large van was that there were eight of us (laughs) (laughs) so um uh and and uh arthur and i um were assured uh, arthur and i were assured that uh not to worry there would be an identical van waiting for us at the philadelphia airport naturally we did not believe this and so um, Amy Fox uh, wrangled all the students to a pizzeria and then to a um, a uh, quality in hotel room to sort of wait it out while Arthur and I tried to sort through this. And um, so we piled together um, into not an Uber, of course, because Uber didn't service this area, contrary to <laughs> Enterprise's <laughs> confident assertions. <laughs> um, and, you know, 50 minutes later, we were at the Philadelphia Hotel, uh, the, sorry, Philadelphia Airport where the uh, Lyft driver also had not decided it was appropriate to bring us all the way to the airport. So they had dumped Arthur in our luggage and all the students' luggage on the outskirts of the airport, and I had hoofed it in. Um, what? Yeah, it was, it was an odd experience. <laughs> so, I mean, Philadelphia is, is, a, is a city of brotherly love. Is that the phrase? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we had also totally smoked a raccoon on the way in, which... Um, yeah, I'm not really an animal lover, but it's still not exactly, you know, that doesn't set the tone, you know. And uh, <laughs> and so I wandered in. They said, "Oh, hello, Mr. Reinick. Good news. We have your minivan available." And I said, "Well, a minivan won't exactly do because I've left 18, 14 year old or eight 14 year olds <laughs> on the side of the road in Delaware." Um, and so, sure enough, it turned out that the 14 passenger illegal in Canada vans have been discontinued in the United States, and um. I thought to myself, well, they've been discontinued because the engine doesn't work, because that's the experience we just had. They said, no, the backup can wiggles. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay. Well, that was not my experience. The backup can seemed fine. But um, no, I managed to cajole them. Um, and this took a, a lot of cajoling, I have to say. It's about one haste referred to this as negotiations, but it was about 30 minutes of negotiations. And um, Ultimately, someone is not was not in the Ford Expedition they thought they were going to be in, I guess, that night, <laughs> <laughs> which gave us uh, just enough room 
um, with luggage and laps to get everyone uh, where we're headed. Um, so it was a real adventure. And um, I don't know her name because I think she may have been uh, not wanting to share that with me. But I'd like to really thank the woman at the Philadelphia airport that has I had my meltdown <laughs> and uh, <laughs> explain that uh, we really needed their last um eight person vehicle um and and i guess a shout out to enterprise too who um uh were awful but um i had this sort of remarkable experience uh spoke to an assistant manager who had rented us the initial vehicle and explained that um he perhaps just thought referring to me as mr reinick and instead mr hertz which would be where i'd be renting my vehicles from in the future <laughs> and then when the, when the receiver was returned it was about 18 seconds before the phone rang and his manager was calling me to uh, explain that we'd received a significant discount on our uh, well, that's, on our that's weekend rental so yeah so um yeah um yeah. All, all told uh the ford yeah, stayed I mean, the ford stayed there and and uh and you you hopped in an expedition, which was probably uh, uh, quite an upgrade. Well, so it would have been had we not had eight eight people and luggage. It was a bit right. crowded. It was a real upgrade to drive, in part because um, the thing about this 14-passenger van is it's so tall. You have to be a little bit aware about the parkways. Right. Um, you take that sucker on the Merit, and you're going to have a can opener experience very quickly under one of the bridges. <laughs> uh, and so you, you really need to, to approach the whole operation as if you're driving... Um, a uh, a box truck yeah very um, nice i i appreciate that this has happened after we'd gotten us through um we we'd gone right through new york just because we we thought we'd miss traffic which we we sort of did um and i appreciated the uh the street cred i'd i'd racked up among our students and fellow travelers for getting um the initial van which handled rather poorly um uh, onto the george washington bridge and more importantly off of the george washington bridge which i think is what we all wanted uh so <laughs> uh so well worth it uh i'm told that the south uh regina van had a similar trouble on the way back but they've they've never been able to put it into words to me via email which makes me think it must be much worse oh okay yeah. so yeah they uh they, they we, we could get the... them on later to ask them maybe. yeah we could, we could follow yeah, yeah. heather and see see what see what happened yeah yeah um okay listener so i think that uh uh, everybody made it back safe and sound. Um, I think everybody had. I'm a sorry, good we didn't. We didn't say that, Ken. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh wait, no. Yeah, yeah everyone did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For for uh, for legal purposes, they. All That's right. Back. We had seven um, and a half students when we came back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, listener, um, uh, this was this was one of Gabe's adventures on the weekend. Uh, you're going to hear some educational adventures uh, in the form of the. Uh, papers and the contributions that everyone was making to ESAF over the weekend. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoy the interviews. And uh, I think we will see you for a more regular episode in a couple of weeks. Uh, That's right. And, and I think that uh, uh, I think that might be it. I think that might be it. It's a little bit odd. We're, we're still out of space and out of time as the listener has grown accustomed to. Yeah. Um, but we're we're yeah. sort of finding our location here, and um, we're and still, still managed, a lot of fun. Yeah, still managed to get through half a bottle of Courvoisier. Yeah, I was gonna say we are we're looking at a half finished bottle of Courvoisier, um, and it's gotten weird, Ken. I I don't know about you, but the this thing where we do where we we do the initial interview and then we just leave the glass of Courvoisier out. Yeah, uh, but it helps it to breathe. I found. What do you think? I, I think it's uh, I think it's a good way. It's uh, it also. You know, it uh, you you always want to pour a drink out for those that are coming after 
uh, after we talk. Well, that's profound. Yeah. Um, so the uh, that's right. Um, we are here standing in a puddle of Covassier and we are ready, <laughs> listener, to let you enjoy our ESAP experience. And we will see you in about two weeks or a fortnight. And um, until then, stay safe. And thank you. And, and uh, you know, hit subscribe, email us. And and uh, uh, I think I think I'm going to say one more time. Thank you to our new sponsors, uh, yes, the, uh, the University of Lethbridge Shirk Exchange Program. That's right. And and listener, if, if you're a deep pocketed future sponsor, particularly if you own a small scotch or brandy corporation, <laughs> you just write to that. Where would they write to us, Ken? New Brunswick Archaeology at gmail.com. That's right. And you just put Balvaney in the subject line and we'll know who you are. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, listener. Thanks, listener. Have a good night. So, listener, uh, we were fortunate that as we were uh, hurtling towards uh, the Eastern States Archaeological Federation, that uh, not only is Josh Cummings a excellent archaeologist, and he's going to tell you more about his work at Sip Bay shortly, he's also um, a Red Seal automobile mechanic. Is that right, Josh? That's correct. Years ago. Yeah, years ago. Yes. And, and so, Josh, uh, we were in a, on a Ford um, van. What would you describe the sound that the Ford van uh, began making? And, and could you explain that in automotive terms for our listener? It wasn't so much a sound as a vibration, where one one cylinder wasn't firing okay. and the engine was out of balance. Okay, I didn't know what that looked for. I thought it was like... And it was causing a vibration in the whole vehicle and a slight knocking noise and the check engine light was flashing and that was disastrous for our trip. <laughs> so when that occurs, uh, it, it's, um, it's bad? Yeah, very bad. Cool. And so is this what we tell the listeners that you repaired it all in one fell swoop on the side of the road? No. <laughs> That's right, listener. We were really honest with you. Josh had diagnosed the problem, but he could not repair it. We'll tell you more about what happened next later. <laughs> I'm joined by Professor Heather Rockwell of Salve Regina University in Newport, Rhode Island. How are you, Heather? I am great. Excellent. How are you finding Ocean City, Maryland so far? It's really nice. It, this is probably the most scenic conference I've ever been to, like, arguably. Nice. The landscape is just beautiful. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and have there been any highlights that you've done outside of the conference on this trip? Uh, we took a really nice walk on the beach and just got to, uh, like, enjoy the ocean and watch the sunrise this morning. It was pretty spectacular. Nice. Yeah, the listeners should know that the hotel is on the beach. It is right on the beach. I've never had a hotel room at a conference where I have a balcony overlooking the beach. It's pretty amazing. Fantastic. And so, um, Heather, your research is on a bunch of things. You also work on Munsung and Chert. Um, pre-contact archaeology, you've worked in Wyoming, but I wonder if you could tell our listeners what you're presenting on at ESAF this year, which I think is a little further afield of your your usual. Yeah, I've made a hard right turn with this <laughs> research. Um, so I normally, like as you said, work on Paleo-Indigenous people, but for this year, I'm actually going to be presenting on a 19th century estate located in Newport, Rhode Island that uh, was the site of a mansion called the Edgewater Mansion. Uh, we did a GPR survey as well as a small excavation to kind of identify this forgotten mansion. You know, normally when I talk about sites, I talk about them in terms of thousands of years. And this one, we're talking about it in terms of tens. So it's very different. That's very cool. I'm looking forward to seeing that. And uh, I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about you brought some students. 
I did. I Excellent. brought five students with me. So I have three first year students who are just <laughs> attending and experiencing a conference for the first time. And then I had uh, two of our senior students, uh, Heather McKee and Natalie Bryant, who are both presenting on their thesis research. Fantastic. Well, well done to them. I enjoyed um, all of their papers very much. And I'm looking forward to your paper tomorrow. And thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. All right. And I will see you at the Denny's for the board meeting very soon. Very excited. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Heather. All right, I am joined by Dr. Zach Singer, who is the state terrestrial, that's right, not extraterrestrial, that's his assistant, the terrestrial archaeologist for the um, state of Maryland. How are you, Zach? Doing well. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. And so first I was going to have you just, um, your research is a bit of everything now, but you're a paleo-Indian researcher at heart. When I can be, yes. (laughs) And your um, paper this morning was about uh, paleo-Indian research. Could you just give us a quick summary of the Maryland Fluted Point Survey and some of the research you're doing there? Sure, yeah, happy to. So the Maryland Fluted Point Survey was started over 50 years ago by the first state archaeologist of Maryland and then fleshed out in the interceding time um, to include over 170 fluted points from across Maryland. And so I've been using that database to kind of hone in on interesting sites that I can do more research on. Uh, so the sites I presented on today were along the Potomac River on property that's owned by the state of Maryland, which is great for me because one of my mandates as state terrestrial archaeologist is to survey Maryland state properties. Um, and so I've been doing research trying to relocate some of these fluted point sites uh, found across the state. That's great. And just to a theme that we're going to talk about on the podcast um, later, many of these are reported by responsible collectors, right? Yeah, almost all of the fluted points in the Maryland Fluted Point Survey, and particularly the ones I went back to and have been investigating further that I presented on today, those were all reported by avocational archaeologists. And the most exciting part, uh, the ones I was looking at today along the uh, the Potomac River, the collections were donated to the state of Maryland for, for future researchers. And so I'm one of those future researchers who's really happy to have worked and co- coordinated with those avocational archaeologists and now be able to access those collections and have other researchers in the future forever be able to study those. Yeah, that's great research and it's um, a great collaboration that, that you all do and you've got even an app I saw now for people to easily report their, their finds. Yeah. And um, so the listener can't see Zach's also in a fluted point necktie, which has a certain, <laughs> uh, certain <laughs> je ne sais quoi to the proceedings here. But the, the presence of the necktie as opposed to just the sports coat and jeans uniform, uh, I think is because you're the president of ESAF. That is right. And could you tell us a little bit about um, what ESAF is? Sure. So the Eastern States Archaeological Federation is a umbrella organization that um, links together state archaeological societies from Virginia up into Maine and even into the Canadian Maritimes. And so ESAF uh, organizes events and coordinates with all these groups so that we can be interconnected and connecting both academic archaeologists as well as avocational archaeologists. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Zach, and congratulations on a great meeting this year. It's well, I think attendance is up, um, yeah. and it looks, it seems like a busy one, and this, all the papers have been really good. So congratulations, and uh, we'll see you at the Can-Am party tonight. Thanks, Gabe. Appreciate it. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Zach. So I'm here with Jonathan Alperstein, who is a PhD student at Dartmouth College in a department with a long acronym that I can never remember what it is. What What is your program? Jen? It's uh, the Triple ES program. It's Ecology, Evolution, Environment, and Society. Fantastic. And what is your paper at ESAF going to be about? Uh, so the main thesis of my paper tomorrow is that we can use geophysical prospection to do true landscape archaeology in the Northeast. Uh, and essentially what we're finding is that actually using specifically ground penetrating radar, we're actually able to map and document house sites, and we can actually show that there's uh, much larger uh, 
occupation than we originally thought of. And this can really help give insights to other larger debates about villages, maze, and uh, the anthropogenic paradigm, which is how much uh, humans have interacted and changed the environment around them. Fantastic. Very exciting. Always good to have more uh, late woodland research. <laughs> and so I'm looking forward to seeing that. And how have you been enjoying Ocean City so far? Ocean City's great. Uh, excited to go to Dead Freddy's tonight and uh, see some pirate-themed uh, food. Uh, and I'm really excited to see what the Secrets Halloween party is going to be like. <laughs> I can only imagine. I will be uh, at the board meeting at Denny's, but maybe I'll join you after. <laughs> so, all right. Thanks very much, Jonathan. So I'm sitting in the lobby of the Hotel Motel Holiday Inn, Ocean City, with uh, Arthur Anderson. How's your conference been going so far, Arthur? It's been going good. It's always a treat to be on the podcast. I exclusively talk to you in hotel lobbies too quietly. It's true. Well, or bars. I think we've done this in a bar. No, that's true. It was a hotel bar. It was a hotel bar. That's right. And um, would you tell us uh, what you presented on today? Yeah, I was presenting on a couple of uh, lithic sources that we have become... I've not become familiar with what we've thought about in our work with the Northeast Archaeological Survey. Um, so Jasper Beach, which is well known in the literature and not in the archaeological record, and uh, the Perry Formation Quartzite, which we find a lot of in the archaeological record, but um, I think deserves a greater recognition in uh, the published record. That's great. Would you like to relay the anecdote that you just heard from, from one of our colleagues about this? No, you wouldn't. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> in fact, listener, this is one of the things about ESAF. It's uh, sort of an off-the-record uh, <laughs> kind of conference. So... So the, the moral of the story basically is people are probably not using Jasper Beach, but they are using Perry. Yeah, I, you know, Mike Gramley got real excited about it in 1979. It was going to be the next big thing. Um, but the reality was it's not a great material in a nap. And even on sites that are literally on top of the formation, we just don't see very much of it at all. Fantastic. And how have you been enjoying ESAF in general? It's been a lot of fun to be in Ocean City. Good. Uh, I've never been to this part of Maryland, um, so it's kind of fun. Uh, being from Southern Maine, the off-season beach town is something I'm somewhat familiar with. Absolutely. It's, it's been a good time, and the, the Maryland and Delaware societies have done a really wonderful job. Great. And in addition to um, all of that, you are the main rep. I am the main rep. That's a great point. That's um, what all those meetings were about. Yeah, yeah exactly. So you're the main rep, and you are the new uh, chairperson of the nominating committee, right? Nominating committee. That's right. So if anyone wants to be president of ESAF, please get in touch. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yes. re- record, I think recording secretary and... Um, uh, that's one we're looking for. They're like drummers, right? Everyone, yes. you know, if someone, they're in high demand. It's so true. And um, and we've also uh, had the fun. We've been on the student engagement um, committee. Yeah, that was fun just now at the CRM Expo. Yeah. Uh, we get to talk to some students and kind of get some feedback about what they'd be, what they'd like to see from the society, making that relevant to students. Yep. Fantastic. Um, and it goes without saying, listener, that we would uh, highly recommend this organization for students. We would. Please. Yep. And, um... Well, Arthur, I think we're about to actually uh, go uh, have a drink with uh, one of our alums. And uh, so, listener, we'll uh, talk to you later. So I'm here with uh, Dawson Burnett, one of our recently graduated undergraduates in the lobby of the uh, Holiday Inn uh, Motel in Ocean City, Maryland. How are you, Dawson? Good. I'm Ocean City. I'm going to move here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a good conference. <laughs> It has. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your poster. Uh, I did a poster on a birdstone tail fragment that I recovered up in Maine. That's great. And, um, and and that's sort of unique to Maine? Yeah, it seems to be the first one in the Maine literature. Cool. Could you explain to the listener what a birdstone is? Uh, there are some varying, varying theories on them, but the uh, most people think they were part of an atlatl spear-throwing device as a counterweight. But they also may have been prestige items or grave goods. Great. And they're about how old? They're about three to 4,000 years old, usually. Very cool, Traditional yeah. Traditional archaic to early 
Woodland period. Yeah, and it was an excellent poster. Thank you. Uh, any highlights of your conference so far? Um, probably hanging out with everybody. It's really fun. Yeah, yeah. Meeting new people. Good. Kind of learning about different opportunities and CRM and stuff. Oh, excellent. Yeah, so you were at the, well, you obviously were at the CRM Expo because it's where you're presenting your yeah. poster. But uh, in addition to that, did, uh, any talks that you particularly liked? I really liked the talk yesterday about the... Uh, double-sided wall features oh yeah the, uh, that was cool yeah 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 of uh, really cool domestic, domestic architecture yeah. Yeah. yeah very cool yeah. excellent well thank you very much Dawson and thank you and uh, have fun in Ocean City tonight thanks <laughs> cheers so we're in the Highstown Diner and I am joined by Amy Fox who is um, a legitimate Jersey girl uh yep have you ever pumped your own gas uh, a couple of times. But only under duress, Under right? duress, yeah. That's what Strained. I thought. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, Amy Fox is a PhD student at University of Toronto. Hi there. And um, she was with us at the Eastern States Archaeological Federation tr- uh, meeting in Ocean City. Did you? How was your meeting? I had a great time, uh, yeah. Any particular highlights? I really enjoyed Ocean City. It reminded me of where I grew up in New Jersey, going to the shore. Fantastic. It was a little bit like being at uh, ESAF Bruce Springsteen, I felt. Uh, <laughs> and you did a poster at uh, ESAF? Yes, I had a poster about my uh, field school. I have a, I teach an on-campus um, archaeological field school for University of Toronto. Um, and we attract students uh, who are interested in pursuing um, careers in archaeology and especially CRM training. Um, and we specialize in uh, giving them that archaeological training. That's great. And how was your and your poster uh, kind of reviewed that and also dealt with equity issues? Yes. Uh, so I uh, uh, learning from my students and also uh, learning from my own personal experience over the years in the field. I presented a poster uh, that looks at some of the reasons why. Uh, uh, disabled students may avoid uh, getting training in archaeological field methods because of either perceived barriers that they um, experience uh, in their lives uh, that they then will perceive that may happen in the field school or because of uh, experiences at field school that may be negative. And so uh, looking at research done by uh, the Higher Education Quality Control Board of Ontario, uh, they look at uh, experiential learning as a whole. And so uh, extrapolating that the field school is a space of experiential learning in in, uh, higher education context, um, the reasons that these students avoid experiential learning is um, because of these perceived barriers. So I make, uh, based on the experiences of my students, I make some recommendations about uh, ways to make your field school more accessible to students, such as making an access statement that uh, outlines some of the um, uh, information that uh, students may be interested in uh, in order to see if they are good candidates for a field school experience, which in my my opinion is most students. Fantastic. Yeah, and all students, really. Great. And it looked like it was really well received last night? Yes, I had some great conversations with folks. A lot of people were uh, interested in the future of this research, and a lot of people were interested in uh, bringing it into a CRM context, which I found interesting. Um, I was talking specifically about an educational context because of equity in higher education and 
expand the access to all students. But what I um, tr I like to, to, and of course I have no jurisdiction in, in a CRM context. It's business, it's a different world than an educational world. But I really want to empower my students with scripts and language so that they can advocate for themselves in their future careers. That's uh, one of the motivating factors for this research. Fantastic. Well, yeah. thank you very much for sharing some of that with our listeners. Cheers. And the other thing our listeners like to know um, are food recommendations. And so you, you know your way around a Jersey diner. What did you order? Uh, well, I ordered the uh, Reuben half, the Reuben melt. Excellent. Uh, yes. So, so Amy's waiting for the Reuben melt. I'm waiting for the uh, the special plate, which is recommended by Guy Fieri. Yes. Uh, and is uh, my understanding is corned beef hash that you can see from outer space. So, so we're looking forward to that, listener. And by that he means it's very large, not that it's glowing. <laughs> oh, we don't know yet. Do we? Oh goodness. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much, Amy. I'm glad you had a good conference. Nailed it as usual, I think.